This is our new Asia series from Control Risk, where we bring you insights from our in-house experts on the most pressing political, economic, and security risks we see emerging in the Asia-Pacific. I'm Dane Chamorro, a partner in our Asia business. From our offices in Singapore, Shanghai, New Delhi, and elsewhere, our team of specialist consultants help businesses that are operating and investing amidst a whole manner of challenges. This ranges from political and regulatory analysis to vendor screening, strategic intelligence, crisis planning, and cyber response, just to name a few. Long referred to as the sick man of Asia for its less than impressive economic performance and often volatile politics, the Philippines over the last six to eight years has recorded record GDP growth in excess of 6%. Under President Rodrigo Duterte, the country has launched an ambitious build, build, build infrastructure program and a strategic pivot to China. But how much has really changed? Unlike many of its ASEAN neighbors, the Philippines' economy is still dominated by consumption and services and remains controlled by a handful of big family enterprises. The sudden lockdown of Metro Manila and Southern Luzon, the main economic center during the recent COVID crisis, will no doubt send the economy into strongly negative territory in 2020. Today, I'm speaking with Derek Awe, Control Risk Senior Analyst for the Philippines, part of our Team ASEAN of more than three dozen consultants. He assists clients navigating this high-growth yet often volatile market spending that was supposed to go to build, build, build have been diverted to a social amelioration program amid COVID. And the government is now banking on infrastructure investment to shore up economic activity over the coming years. But as the past few months have proven, you cannot improve the business environment overnight. That and more coming up in this episode from Control Risk Asia Pacific team. So Derek, for the last few years, the Philippines economy has been growing at historically high rates, six, six and a half percent in that range. And this year, like a number of other economies in the region, it's projected to shrink quite a lot, partially due to the, the lockdown instituted by the president when the virus broke out. Tell us what you think we'll see, which sectors will do better than some others, and how the remittances from overseas workers and the cash flows from BPO sector will do. To be honest, I'm somewhat bearish on the post-lockdown recovery in the Philippines. Already in quarter one, we've seen negative 0.2% growth, and that's deeper contraction than the rest of the region. Banks are now projecting in the neighborhood of negative 4% or worse for the entire year. I would say that's probably going to be worse. The Philippines is just only coming out of one of the world's longest and most rigid lockdowns, if you base that on uh, Google's and Apple's mobility indices, and has done so without credibly containing the spread of the coronavirus. So it's a tough challenge for a lot of businesses with public transport not really operating even at half of its normal capacity. Parts of the Philippines now face a future of bouncing in and out of localized lockdown. It's a really tough environment for a lot of businesses. We know that the economy derives a lot from inbound money, both the BPO sector, which I think is between 20 and 25 billion every year, and then remittances from overseas workers, which is roughly the same. So between those two, you're bringing in roughly 50 billion, I think a year, the last figure I saw to the economy. That leads me to the question, is that going to help the country weather through, maybe compared to some other economies that don't, that don't have that same kind of offshore sector, if you will? 
Overseas remittances have been a buffer for so many economic crises over the past few decades. It represents about 10% of the Philippine economy pre-COVID, but this year that's likely to fall by 10%. And the labor ministry is now estimating that over 1 million out of about 10 million in total overseas Filipino workers are probably going to lose their jobs over the next year. So that's probably not going to be as reliable as before. And that's probably going to have a lot of impact on public discontent. Speaking of public discontent, that's a good segue to talk about infrastructure because that's been, ever since I lived in the Philippines almost 30 years ago, the first time, that's been a huge, huge issue both domestically, but also just from a commercial perspective, a foreign investment perspective, if you're taught thinking about you know relocating supply chains to the country from China or other places, that's always one of the first things that comes up is the quality of the infrastructure. And we know that the president kind of campaigned on the build, build, build program. Is the crisis going to set back his program for building out the, the much needed critical infrastructure in the Philippines? It will definitely add a sense of urgency. The relevant government departments have had underspending issues over the past year. And you're right, it was only just before the pandemic struck that infrastructure spending started to pick up. Parts of the spending that was supposed to go to build, build, build have been diverted to a social amelioration program amid COVID. And the government is now banking on infrastructure investment to shore up economic activity over the coming years. But as the past few months have proven, you cannot improve the business environment overnight. The spending over the last few years will still be there. For example, I think only two out of the 75 infrastructure projects promised by the Duterte administration have been completed four years into build, build, build. And the government is now expecting only about 20 of the 75 to be completed before Duterte stands down by 2022. There will be movement there for sure, but we should probably temper our expectation given what we already have observed over the past few years. So we know that the president had put a lot of stock in China, possibly strategically because of the need for infrastructure in the Philippines and the belief that China can build basic infrastructure quite quickly and pretty cost effectively. So the assumption has always been that his kind of realignment, if you will, even if it's just superficial with China, was partly to help get more infrastructure built by Chinese firms. And there's been a lot of controversy around that. I'm just wondering, have we actually seen any of that take place? The pledge investments from China have not materialized, and there have been a lot of controversies around them. That will probably be a more prominent issue as we go closer to the next presidential cycle. A lot of those who will try to succeed Duterte will use controversial Chinese investments as a prominent campaign issue. And that will, again, contribute to delays in infrastructure projects and so on and so forth. The president's comments about China and the United States and his desire to realign the Philippines with China have caused a lot of controversy, not least of which in the Philippines. Is that really just politicking? Is that for a domestic audience? Why is he so almost incendiary sometimes in the remarks that he makes about the new relationship that the Philippines is going to have with other countries and particularly China vis-a-vis the United States? What's behind that? A lot of it is a function of his controversial war on drugs, which obviously and understandably attracted a lot of international criticisms, including from then U.S. President Obama. The other factor, the one that we've already discussed, Duterte wants to attract Chinese investments into Philippine infrastructure, as well as in other sectors, including telecommunications. His predecessor had missed out on a lot of opportunities in, for example, the Belt and Road Initiative, 
and Duterte feels that he needs to make up for it. And that's probably why we're seeing a lot of these very dramatic shifts in what the Philippine president has said. There was speculation that the president was trying to position his daughter. He comes from a political family, as is quite common in the Philippines. What does that situation look like now? And what would it mean for foreign investors? Is it going to be kind of more of the same continuity? Or should we prepare ourselves for kind of uh, potential sudden shifts one way or another? Duterte is trying to groom his daughter, Davao Mayor Sarah Duterte, to succeed him in the next election. And that's, you know, widely speculated. There's also another person, Senator Bongo, who's been Duterte's really lifelong close aide, who's also rumored to want to become president. The main thing here is that, you know, even if Duterte may appear to be polarizing, he has command over the heart and mind of the majority of Filipinos still. And that's despite what we would think as his fumbling of the pandemic response. Whether or not that level of popular support will stay until 2022, it's probably too early to say. It should be noted that at this point in the previous presidential cycle, no one had considered Duterte to be able to launch a credible presidential campaign. It is too early to say. The economic consequences of how the administration has managed the COVID outbreak could have an impact on that for sure. There's no way the administration can spin its way out of that. And that could encourage other parts of the political system to form a more credible opposition against Duterte over the next two years. Whether or not the Philippines will change, it's hard to say. I mean, the Philippines has been growing, but I would say that it has not changed. We had hoped that as the economy and the middle class expand, the country would become more open, more predictable. But that's not really the case. If we compare, for example, with Vietnam, which will have a major leadership transition next year, no matter who ends up on top, there's a very established consensus on what needs to happen. And that's simply not the case in the Philippines. The next two years, the next five years will be very difficult. Growth will probably be more selective and there will be a lot of policy volatility, regardless if it's Sarah Duterte or Bongo who will succeed Duterte. But that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of money to be made in the Philippines. It probably just means that investors would need more information, more contacts, more protection to take advantage of the opportunities in in that place. Given what's happened with the economy because of the virus and particularly the response to the virus, the lockdown, which, as you said, really focused on locking down people rather than combating the virus and the hit that therefore economic growth will take, do we expect to see a uptick in labor unrest, social unrest, terrorism, any of those things that have at various times in recent history plagued the Philippines as a result of lower economic growth, job losses, et cetera, which which are not obviously unique to the Philippines. That's happening around the world. But do we expect to see those trend upward? It's very possible. The business process outsourcing sector, which represents about 10% of the Philippine economy, again, before the pandemic, We're already seeing a lot of them reconsidering their five-year plan in the Philippines because of impending tax reform, as well as obviously the advent of artificial intelligence technology. And if we see the pandemic, again, as a catalyst that makes worse or expedites a lot of trends, the BPO sector is where you'd see that. You would probably see a lot of plans to reshore these jobs over the next few months. And those headlines will contribute to public discontent. You have already seen a very significant reaction to the Duterte government looking into an anti-terrorism bill 
and that has created a lot of furore on social media and so on. And I think those trends will keep coming up over the next few years. What about the what I call the quest for federalism? So this was also part of Duterte's platform program that he wanted to make the Philippines a federal republic and devolve power from the center to the regions. And as we know, the Philippines is a very diverse country and, and coming from the far south, you could understand why that would be one of his pet projects. But that requires a change in the constitution. And it, the, the topic seems to come back and then go away and then come back again. Where do we stand on that? Is that likely to happen in the next 18 months or so while he's still there? Or is that kind of dead in the water? The window for constitutional change has probably passed, which is a shame because part of that agenda was to open up sectors of the economy for foreign investments. Unfortunately, a lot of political agenda had kind of hijacked the whole process. So as a result, it's probably not going to happen anymore. As you know, the power of the president peaks somewhere in the middle of his term, and we're past that, unfortunately. So just to recap some of Derek's key points, the economy is likely to shrink almost 4% this year as a result of the COVID crisis and the government response of shutting down Metro Manila. Support from overseas remittances in the BPO sector will help, but will not alleviate all of the economic pain. President Duterte's Build, Build, Build program to improve the country's infrastructure hasn't really delivered his promise so far, with only two projects out of the 75 planned completed, and possibly only 20 will be finished before the president's term ends in 2022 promised investment from China to address the infrastructure gap has not materialized. Finally, this Philippines super executive presidency will change in 2022 when President Duterte steps down in the mandated single term. But while there's no shortage of aspirants to replace him, including his daughter Sarah, history shows it's nearly impossible for a Philippines president to anoint a successor. Thus, there's no guarantee that we won't see further policy volatility from a new executive. Thanks all for listening. This was another in our Asia podcast series, and we'll be back with more in the coming days. In the meantime, please go to our website, controlrisks.com, for more analysis, or you can subscribe to all our podcasts on Acast, iTunes, and Spotify. Just search for Control Risks. Mm-hmm.